Oh, well, hello, hello. This is a data-driven Formula One with Patrick Kantz and Gana Zagrebna. Hi, Patrick. Hello, Gana. Hello, all. And today we have uh, such a great character. I mean, uh, this is one of my fav most favorite sort of um, drivers and characters in Formula One of all time, John Surtis. <laughs> right. Uh big in the photo, maybe not that uh, famous than other characters as he was more, let's say, a bit more introvert, at least as uh, I perceived him. But yeah. as you said, a great uh, driver, mm -hmm. uh, even before Formula One, as he was, uh, as many coming from uh, motorcycling, but he already won a motorcycling championship before he entered. Yeah, so um, I, I just want to say two things. Uh, first thing is uh, when you look for pictures of uh, John Surtis, you find an enormous number of him in uh, kind of uh, when he's relatively old. Um, and he lived a very long life. He passed away in uh, 2017. So, yeah. so he, he uh, really was one of the survivors. So yeah, he was born in 1934 and uh, he passed away in 2017, uh, so it's difficult to find uh, uh, pictures of him in younger age, but there are a lot of pictures of him. So uh, I'm not sure that he was an introvert, introvert that much, but he just was uh, a person who was very concentrated on what what he what he did, what he was doing, yep. uh, was very methodical in it. And um, the absolutely amazing part, so the, for me, uh, the first time I was in uh, Coventry uh, 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 Coventry Automotive Museum, um, uh, you have a whole kind of uh, stand there about uh, John Surtis. And uh, the cool thing about John Surtis is that not only he competed in uh, mot motorcycle competitions, but he was a, a a big champion in motorcycling. He was like a really big name in motorcycling before he went into Formula One. And mm -hmm. um, I just think this is such a fantastic character because um, I remember very few people who had success in one sport and then moved to the other. I think uh, if you remember, for example, Michael Jordan, who went from uh, I don't know, basketball <laughs> to baseball, uh, he didn't, I mean, he was okay in baseball, but he wasn't as good as he was in, uh, you know, in, 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 in basketball. And so I think it's a big decision for someone who was crowned several times in one sport as a, as a racing champion to say all of a sudden, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to try something else and then not only do it, but also succeed and become a champion. And uh, so to me, uh, like he's kind of one of these big characters in, in, in Formula One, definitely for me. I mean, I'm obviously very biased, but I'm really looking forward to today's uh, episode. Yeah. yeah and uh, I mean, one of the key takeaways uh, investigating about Trantis is that he was really a man of uh, clear decisions, not only uh, changing from motorcycles to uh, uh, Formula One, but also he made uh, clear uh, decisions uh, in Formula One and motorsports. Yeah, probably uh, the only thing that he didn't do successfully in motorsport is when he had his own team, uh, John Sertis or 
yeah. organization, right, as it's called, will get to that anyway. Uh, and uh, yeah, there, I think uh, the results were not uh, awesome, but uh, uh, nevertheless, he tried. I mean, the, uh, you know, he a little bit reminds me of um, uh, uh, sort of the, uh, oh God, uh, the, the name just escaped me, the guy who owns the Tesla company. Elon uh, Musk? Elon Musk, that's it. Uh, sorry about this. Uh, yeah, so Elon Musk, because uh, he uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, makes this really big decisions really easily, very risky decisions. Right? I just want to do this, right? And, and, and he kind of does it. So that's, uh, that's the kind of guy we're talking about today. So he made, made very risky decisions, uh, career-changing, life-changing decisions, just like this. And um, we will also uh, talk about when he was with Ferrari and decided to <laughs> to leave Ferrari just like this. So and and uh, this uh, decisiveness, I think, really defines his career and his success. In fact, right. So exactly. But um, let's start uh, again uh, from the beginning. He was born in uh, February 11, 1934 in Fettsfield, Surrey, uh, England. He was uh, the son of a British uh, motorcycle uh, driver. So practically his first career was uh, influenced uh, by his uh, family. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Sari is, uh, I mean, I just looked at uh, so for, uh, for, uh, for a research paper, I looked at all the um, locations of Formula One and uh, kind of uh, this uh, region near London is the heavy concentration of, uh, um, uh, of uh, sort of engineering talent and uh, definitely uh, well, for, um, for for McLaren, this is worthing, but you know, you also have Sari there nearby. And then we also have kind of a center in, uh, in Midlands uh, um, where we have really cool uh, engineering, car engineering in England. But, uh, but essentially, yes, I mean, he was, his father was not only just, just riding motorcycles and uh, not just having a workshop, uh, motorcycle workshop, but he was a champion in, in, in motorcycling. Uh, so for John Surtees, uh, he started, uh, um, he started uh, participating very, very early, from very, very early age in, in his dad's. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, his first uh, sort of uh, participation in a, in a sidecar was at the age of 14 for which they were disqualified, I believe. <laughs> but then uh, his first uh, ride, uh, independent ride was at the age of 15. So it's uh, like really amazing, amazing career. Yeah, and uh, I mean, amazing. Uh, uh, if you think from today's perspective, uh, uh, the decision of, uh, from his father uh, to uh, to start a race with your 14 uh, years uh, years uh, old son, I mean, uh, uh, you, it's it's amazing to read it now. But let's say uh, you would you would also uh, ask a little bit uh, if his uh, father was really sustainable in that to uh, uh, race with your son in such a, a dangerous event. Yeah, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, this um, this understanding that you need to pursue your passion and you need to sort of support your your child and what they want to do. 
uh, is kind of also what John Surtees did himself, and uh, his son Henry was uh, participating in Formula Two. Uh, as we will, we will talk about him later, and he died at the age of as his son died at the age yeah. of eighteen. But I think this this is a kind of looks like a family yeah. tradition, as you know, like we are passionate about. So it, it uh, a little bit reminds me of uh, Ascari family, yeah. right? When they had. Uh, um, a father and son and uh, you know so they they uh, they really uh, so Alberto Ascari's dad was uh, basically Enzo Ferrari's companion yep. in many races and raised himself and died very young um, and you know this is a very risky occupation so you can die uh, in uh, in a motorcycle mm -hmm. racing probably more than you can die in in, in car racing uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, more, it's more likely, it's more, a lot more dangerous. So I think it's kind of um, people took it uh, as kind of part of the, um, yeah, uh, part of the kind of occupational hazard. And you have to, uh, if you make a decision to race, uh, you have to be prepared that it's going to be dangerous and risky. And especially back in the day when, you know, protection was non-existent, I think for, Motorcycle racing is probably still the same these yeah. days because I mean, you're not wearing much. Um, and that um, gives you also very good kind of character training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so John Surtees was extremely, extremely uh, successful. So I think he was, was he four times, four times a champion, yes. right? In motorcycle. Yes, 90, 56, uh, 58, times. 59 and uh, 60. 60 yeah so yeah and he was the um he was basically riding the 500 double c motorcycle yeah. motorcycle and yeah so lots of sort of uh, cool uh, wins uh, uh, you can actually find footage of him uh, riding motorcycle i found uh, many pictures but I, I decided to go with this one that you can see on the right hand side uh, in this presentation we'll also show you this picture and kind of more zoomed in and you can really see him uh, very well, but I mean, um, so um, in a sense, uh, a very kind of traditional start for a British driver. Uh, if we remember other uh, Formula One British drivers like uh, Mike Hawthorn, for example, about whom we talk, spoke a lot, and he had a very supportive family, uh, and Sterling Moss, who also had, I mean, initially no support, but then eventually <laughs> gained support of his uh, of his family. And uh, but but here again, like we have a very supportive dad uh, who kind of encouraged him to 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 race, and uh, you know his desire to be uh, to be a racing uh, racing rider, motorcycle rider was kind of the first thing that he wanted to do, and then uh, a huge decision to to move to Formula One, which kind of came later, not very logical, but uh, it worked for him. Exactly. And uh, let's say even if his uh, um, father was also successful in motorcycling, uh, uh, he decided uh, to start early uh, working himself already in the age of 16. He went uh, to the Vincent factory to start as an apprentice. So he started uh, to, to work uh, being independent quite uh, early and not only had been uh, depended uh, by his father to support his uh, career. Yeah, and uh, that um, that experience, I think, really helped him to then understand uh, the uh, 
um, kind of the, 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 the makes, uh, the cars, and uh, um, uh, really approximate the risk, right? Because yeah. a lot uh, we will see, as we will see in later years, one of the reasons why he, for example, left Ferraris, he didn't find it very safe to race uh, um, in 1966 season. So it was a little bit, uh, um, you, you know, so in, in a sense uh, that experience really not only helped him to pursue his passion, which which was what yeah. he wanted to do, but also uh, allowed him to understand a great deal about how, you know, mechanical engineering works uh, in practice yeah. and uh, get kind of first-hand experience in it. Exactly. Yeah, so um, again, uh, like I said, very successful uh, career in, in motor racing that he had and uh, um, so he was uh, basically uh, driving motorcycles uh, and then uh, eventually he decided to move into car racing, which was a big decision, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in the beginning he uh, drove for the motorcycles from MV Augusta and here he also received uh, his nickname Filio del Vento, which is Italian for son of the wind. Yes, yes. Del Vento. There we go. <laughs> um, but generally, if you do not know much about 500cc um, uh, uh, racing, I encourage you to actually watch several, if you're just interested in Formula One and if you're not really interested in motorcycling, uh, watch a few documentaries about uh, this uh, uh, sport it's extremely dangerous uh, it just uh, you cannot uh, you know the car i think protects you probably a little bit i mean this is it i mean <laughs> you you are practically you practically have absolutely zero protection and any uh, uh, small mistake uh, can lead to really fatal um, uh, consequences yeah. um, and generally uh, yeah I, I encourage you to to watch several documentaries about even you know about the current uh, 500cc racing so you can actually see what what it what it is like i mean it is very very it, it is uh, really kind of high speed uh, decision making and you need to be very very uh, sharp to be able to do it and uh, this sharpness i guess also contributed to uh, john surtis's uh, decisiveness on you know <laughs> to to, uh, to to try different things yeah. exactly and uh, also he was uh, quite lucky uh, in some of the years like in 56 they uh, he won already in his first year in the senior class the championship a little bit supported by the fact uh, that the organization banned uh, his biggest competitor, Chief uh, Duke, as he supported uh, Rider Strike. Uh, something later, also, uh, in, as we drove, as he drove for Ferrari, he was uh, quite lucky because uh, he practically won in, in the last race of the championship uh, due to the technical problems from its uh, competitors. But uh, yeah, and we but also discussed this. Uh, sorry, uh, we also discussed it many times uh, before. Uh, to win uh, a race, a championship, sometimes uh, it is important uh, to be in the second position, to be there when your competitor 
gets uh, the trouble. So even if you're winning with luck, it's still a lot of uh, skills. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, we will obviously come to the the, the champion uh, the, the the champion season for Johnson Tees yeah. shortly. But uh, I think uh, he he won in in this uh, fantastic sort of runoff between three drivers, yeah. right? Uh, and uh, we uh, it was very very tight. So I don't really think that he got, you know, uh, they, they all three of them were very good. Uh, 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 but but the, you know he emerged as a winner simply because yeah of course it is you know it is the always uh, always this uh, we always have this uh, conversation about skill versus luck yeah. but still I think if skill is not there luck uh, yeah. alone <laughs> in in Formula One will not help you and uh, to 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 John Surtis's defense in motorcycling. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, 1956 season probably was luck uh, more than skill. Uh, I'm not sure. It's debatable. But definitely the fact that he then won three, three more exactly, <laughs> championships yeah. shows you that, yeah, I mean, the guy was really good and uh, he deserved to be a champion. Well, it's uh, less uh, skill versus luck. I think uh, skill is the basic requirement and Luck is what you, in addition, uh, may need. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's a big decision-making process, especially for the for the racing driver, because you have to have a good team behind your back who are working tirelessly on on an innovative design. You need to pick well, like we saw with. Uh, uh, Fangio, for example, who kind of uh, had like a sense yes. right? <laughs> I mean, that this team yeah. will be good next season. Uh, not everyone has that, right? And uh, uh, it is often, like, oh, not everyone has an opportunity to move teams. Uh, so, uh, so really it is this, uh, this um, uh, um, I guess, um, many things have to come together for you to win the, the championship. Exactly. But, but definitely, I mean, I just don't want us to kind of degrade his no, no, own. Uh, 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 I just want to say like to our listeners who sometimes say, oh, you really like, you are not fair to this guy. Uh, we are being fair like we we just uh, we completely appreciate his skills and uh, but we're just uh, sometimes mentioning that there are also circumstances that yep. could have helped but uh, uh, in in any case uh, being four four time motorcycling champion and uh, uh, one time formula one champion is very tough uh, and uh, requires uh, fantastic skill sets uh, and uh, uh, ability to make quick decisions and ability to 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 uh, select the right people at the right time and do it well. Right. That's that's right. So as he still has been active in uh, motorcycles, he already started uh, with uh, testing a Formula One car and. Uh, uh, as in the last uh, episode, as we spoke about 69, also here uh, we see a, a name uh, from the past which will re-emerge. So he first tested the Aston Martin uh, DBR1. Aston Martin had been for two or three years in uh, Formula 1. Uh, so even if it's a quite... Uh, well-known British name, I mean, in opposite to, to, let's say, to Lotus, 
they not have been that successful um, in the past? Yes. Um, uh, they have been, uh, let's say, a, a smaller team. Yeah, I was uh, thinking quite a lot about why he why he made that switch. Uh, and on the one hand, uh, you you would have thought that it's yeah. probably about uh, that he might have just been fed up with motorcycling a little bit yeah. because you know after you are four time uh, world champion, you're probably thinking, oh, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's probably enough time to retire. But um, <laughs> And most people do, I guess, uh, that stage. But um, I think it also has to, had to do with the fact that you know we didn't actually have uh, uh, prominent British teams uh, at, at uh, in mm -hmm. 1950s. You know, it was almost uh, kind of yep. uh, Italian-dominated sport. Uh, so in uh, and, and the beginning of 1960s, and then you know during 1960s, we saw the emergence of the British teams uh, who could really compete with Italian teams at that, at that point in time. And I think that also had, so the, the fact that John Surtis decided to move to Formula One had uh, something to do with that because he could actually locally train with, uh, uh, you know, decent constructors and uh, um, that uh, certainly contributed to his decision to move into Formula One. But I think, to be, you know, uh, such uh, a big star in the UK in motorcycling and then move to a completely different sport uh, was a big decision. So, I mean, he just, uh, he, I think, deserves respect just for that. Completely agreed uh, with you. And, uh, he also, he luckily, uh, thanks to Formula One, uh, he made, uh, he took the opportunity to start at Indianapolis 500 in 1961 with uh, the Cooper T53. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, essentially he was driving Cooper Max, but for yeah. a smaller team, right? Uh, yes. the, the CMN Credit Racing Team. Um, and um, uh, pretty much uh, he worked with uh, Reg Parnell, who is also the kind of quite a famous figure in, in, Formula, in, for, in Formula One of 1960s. And uh, he also drove Lola Make, uh, right, for, um, for 1962 season. Uh, and then eventually uh, he got, uh, he, he has, uh, uh, he, he has drawn his golden ticket when he uh, uh, got a seat at Ferrari. Right. In 1963. Right. So I think this this uh, headline in the number 500 is still an error with copy and paste. Uh, yeah, perhaps that's the wrong one, but I mean, nevertheless, uh, I think we we can just uh, uh, yeah we we. Uh, we, everything uh, that we said about Cooper, Lola, and Ferrari are correct facts. Yeah. So I guess uh, the the title should have been maybe Ferrari, like Ferrari seat uh, here. Um, and uh, yeah, so. And then we are coming uh, to uh, the infamous uh, 1966 uh, Le Mans uh, as. Uh, in various years, uh, Ferrari was uh, suffering uh, with uh, their uh, labor union 
there have been various uh, strikes. They, the strikes not had been particularly on uh, Ferrari, but they had been in the whole uh, country. And uh, due to this, uh, Ferrari could only afford to bring uh, two of their cars, the Ferrari P3, to um, Le Mans. And uh, with this, uh, they had to limit their uh, drivers to four, as it was only allowed to have two drivers uh, per car. And uh, John Sotis, even if he was a uh, Formula One champion for Ferrari, uh, the team decided uh, to not uh, let him start, uh, but uh, preferred um, others like uh, the first car with Mike Parks and Ludovico Scarpiotti and the other one with Jen uh, Bichet and Lorenzo Bandini. Uh, John Sotis was very unhappy uh, about this um, decision. And uh, here he explained uh, uh, and uh, he understood it uh, that uh, Ferrari uh, preferred uh, to have this one uh, car with Ludovico uh, Scafiotti because uh, he was uh, familiar with um, Gianni Agnelli, the big uh, Fiat boss. So this is how he understood the decision that he was not allowed to start in Le Mans. On the other hand, uh, the Ferrari team explained it a little bit uh, different because uh, back September uh, 65, John Sosit had a, a very uh, big accident in uh, Canada where he was even at risk uh, to lose his life. And Ferrari explained its decision that uh, they not felt that he, <coughs> that he was already strong enough to start at uh, 24 hours. Uh, endurance um, uh, event like uh, Le Mans. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. I just uh, want to say that um, obviously one thing that we should have mentioned and we didn't yeah. is that he was a champion, Formula One champion in 1964 yeah. and uh, Ferrari was uh, his his team. Uh, so he, he felt, I think, pretty passionate about uh, um, uh, driving for Ferrari, but then Indeed, in 1965, he suffered a very serious, uh, um, he suffered very serious injuries uh, in in Canada. Although um, we have, to, so um, I mean, when you when you look for kind of footage and um, news about that event, uh, very often you find the pictures of him in crunches, uh, you know, and and he. Um, uh, but he was always saying that, you know, he was going to go back to uh, racing. And mm. uh, that's another, I think, really cool thing about John Surtis that he didn't give up like some drivers do uh, because, you know, some drivers after these uh, pretty, um, pretty big accidents, they stop, uh, uh, they stop driving or mm. they actually um, uh, Anyway, switch to maybe some other motorsport, not necessarily Formula One. But mm -hmm. I mean, uh, he was always very determined to go back, uh, despite uh, serious uh, uh, serious injuries that he sustained in that race. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess it was maybe a combination of uh, sort of uh, maybe he didn't feel that it was fair decision on the part of Ferrari. But equally, I think. Uh, 
it was his desire to continue racing uh, that uh, has led to this result. But nevertheless, uh, uh, he will remain in the history of mm -hmm. Formula One as a 1964 uh, world champion uh, in Formula One with Ferrari, right? So uh, Ferrari, I guess, was the most... Uh, uh, so th the team that where he reached his uh, his uh, highest uh, point of success yeah. in Formula One. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's difficult uh, to judge for us now what was the real uh, reason. Was it because he was uh, still not strong enough after this uh, big accident, or also uh, Fiat, uh, sorry, Ferrari wanted or had to uh, prefer uh, Scafiotti? Uh, to please uh, uh, Agnelli, or, or maybe it was a little bit uh, in between. I mean, a lot of decisions uh, are based not only on one uh, topic, but on two or more topics. So maybe both somehow influenced Ferrari's decision to uh, decide against him starting at Le Mans that year. Ferrari and Fiat, uh, yeah. this is uh, Patrick's show because he is very knowledgeable about Ferrari and like myself. <laughs> and well, definitely really cool collaboration there. And uh, I, I love this uh, this uh, Ferrari 375 photo that uh, yeah. we have. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, that uh, I mean, we show you quite a few photos made by Patrick and this is also one of, one of those and a really nice make. Um, uh, which was, I guess, a collaborative make between Ferrari and Fiat. I didn't know about that. I, 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 I'm familiar with Ferrari's 375, but I don't actually know much about its history. So we'll be eager to hear Patrick's. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, since, uh, since the beginning uh, up to uh, today, um, if you have uh, the budget, if you have a special uh, relation to uh, Ferrari, uh, you... Um, you have the possibility to uh, develop a car uh, based on your personal uh, preferences. Um, this, which again, not uh, to, especially today, is not only uh, limited to your budget, but we, you really do have to show that you have been. I don't that you bought several Ferraris in the past and that you not uh, sold them uh, directly after. But, um, but also in, in the beginning uh, and especially here. Uh, in the, in the 1950s, uh, Ferrari and Fiat had, of course, a closer relationship. So uh, Ferrari made uh, this, uh, this special car special, uh, for Gianni Agnelli after his uh, personal uh, preferences. And it wasn't that difficult uh, at that time to do because in 1950s, uh, Ferrari was far away from the uh, mass um, manufacturer of car. So they worked together with, uh, they had practically had the chassis and then they went to the different coach builder companies where they could uh, do an individual uh, design or also where later the customer went through and because they wanted to have somehow a different uh, Ferrari. So this uh, one you see here on, on the photo, if you are with us on YouTube shows, uh, a one-off, the 375 America Coupe, which was especially done for the big Fiat uh, manager. Besides the business relation, uh, Gianni Anelli and Enzo Ferrari, uh, they always had a very good uh, relation, despite they had complete different uh, background. 
And so coming, let's say, from a um, uh, um, middle class family, working class, and Gianni Anelli uh, coming from, let's say, from uh, this uh, more uh, rich uh, family. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, the two men always uh, came along uh, very good. If you saw the movie uh, Ford uh, versus Ferrari, you, you saw the attempt uh, from uh, Ford uh, to acquire Ferrari because at the time they had been the big mass uh, manufacturer, but Henry Ford uh, always wanted to have uh, a little uh, uh, Italian company uh, to present also in his uh, showrooms. Uh, first, they tried uh, to acquire uh, Ferrari, and in, in the beginning, Enzo Ferrari was quite open because he understood that uh, to be successful in the uh, future as a car manufacturer, but also to have enough uh, budget to invest again in the racing team, you need somebody bigger uh, behind you. Uh, Henry Ford offered um, uh, Enzo originally. Uh, to acquire the company, but give, uh, let him complete freedom for the race team, which I understand he took back uh, in his later offer. That's why Enzo declined, why Henry Ford became quite uh, angry uh, and uh, due to this decided to start at uh, Le Mans to beat uh, Ferrari on the racetrack. And uh, as consequence, um, Enzo agreed later with Gianni Anelli uh, and, uh, they, and uh, Ferrari became part of the big Fiat company. But uh, here, as uh, Gianni Anelli maybe had been a little bit more empathic than Henry Ford, uh, he left him uh, all the freedom for the uh, racing team and also uh, big uh, decision-making uh, room inside the uh, car company. And uh, Ford uh, later cooperated uh, with another Italian company, uh, De Tommaso, which they not acquired, but they had an agreement and they saw the De Tommaso cars, which had, by the way, the Ford engine in the US. So this yeah. is a little bit as background between the relation between Ferrari and Fiat and why maybe they wanted uh, to uh, please the Agnelli and have uh, uh, Scafiotti driving at Le Mans. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, I just looked up uh, this, uh, why did we have this mistake with Indianapolis 500? Uh, so the, the, the debut uh, um, uh, race for the debut uh, uh, race for John was uh, 12 uh, uh, BRDC International Trophy. So it was still international race, but it was not American. It was in Silverstone, UK, and he was driving for Lotus. So okay. that, that's basically yeah, okay. why I think uh, there was a confusion there. Uh, so apologies for that, but nevertheless, I mean, he started in an, inter an international race, uh, just not in the US, and he started in the UK, which kind of was closer to home, so that's understandable. <laughs> um, yeah, so Le Mans, uh, uh, and yeah, 19, uh, 1966 is when uh, John Surtis uh, basically quit uh, Ferrari, and he went to Honda, right, as far as I remember. Yeah, uh, also really interesting experimental, very experimental team, uh, also had uh, s multiple issues. But uh, yeah, I mean, 
and, and you know, this is also kind of showcases to you the reality of being a, a Formula One driver. So at one in one season you can be a champion and uh, you know have all the <laughs> uh, all kind of the victory is yours and uh, yeah. the, everything is there. All the stars are right, and the next season you might not even have a seat. Right. And, uh, exactly, and uh, and uh, maybe you took this decision, maybe also a very emotional uh, decision. And as you see a little bit on this uh, page, uh, the question is, uh, was it uh, worth it? Because if you see uh, uh, here what happened, John Sotis quit the Ferrari team. Uh, he wasn't uh, able uh, to uh, defend uh, uh, to become a champion uh, again, even if yeah. as the moment as he was leaving, he was um, leading the championship. And uh, also due to this, uh, Ferrari uh, could not win the championship in, in uh, Formula One. Uh, but but uh, if we analyze uh, Le Mans, why, every, why everything went up, all the emotions, decisions. I mean, uh, it was uh, completely dominated by, uh, um, by the Ford team and the two uh, Ferraris. They're not even uh, finished uh, the race, so maybe he uh, he would have started, but uh, I mean he wouldn't have seen the uh, the checkered flag uh, anyway. So you may think a little bit all this trouble for nothing practically. Yeah, so I mean uh, this is also this. Uh, so I know that Patrick has done some kind of alternative uh, discussion, yeah. kind of of alternatives, uh, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just want to say that this very much showcases the character of John Surtees and, uh, you know, the decisiveness with which he kind of shifted very quickly, you know, uh, in terms of his... Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, it also has to do with um, the the fact that, you know, he's, he's a, a multiple-time uh, motorcycling champion. He's a, uh, he's a one-time Formula One champion. And I guess, uh, yes, I mean, he was injured in 1965, which uh, could have affected his performance. And for Tim, it was maybe a more rational decision not to not to put him, uh, you know, in the driver's seat in Le Mans. But at mm -hmm. the same time, you know, for him, uh, I think, uh, uh, whether we like it or not, by that time yeah. you develop uh, some sort of an ego. I, I'm not sure that yes. was there at the beginning. Maybe it was. Well, definitely the decisiveness was there. But yes. certainly, you know, when you kind of reach uh, certain things, uh, cert you have certain achievements in your career, which are quite high in, in case of John Surtees. So it is, uh, I can see why it is not a, uh, not, not a very nice situation to be in and you feel a little bit... Uh, kind of uh, sorted, right? And then uh, you feel that it might have not been a fair decision. Um, and generally, um, you know, the politics of it is very, um, uh, is a very uh, kind of, uh, it shows you how politics ca sometimes can be a very unfortunate factor, even in, you know, uh, a sport like this, and you can actually lose uh, important opportunities for yourself and for the team as a result of this rather emotional, yes, you know, emotional and rather uh, unweighted decisions. But at the same time, perhaps it was, you know, taken to the point where he just didn't feel respected enough by the team, in which case for him personally probably was the right thing to do. Yeah, um, around 50 years later, he gave an interview uh, where they also asked him uh, again about the situation. And uh, then uh, he said that uh, 
maybe, or just maybe he should have, uh, maybe it would have been better to have uh, stayed inside Ferrari and not, not uh, run away from that problem, but uh, uh, fight inside the team to have to uh, achieve the status uh, which uh, he should uh, have based on being a Formula One champion. And uh, this also based uh, uh, on the fact that he uh, left Ferrari after the second uh, race of the season where he practically was leading the Formula One uh, championship. And uh, he concluded that uh, based on this, he lost uh, all opportunities uh, to uh, become Formula One champion again. Um, based on that idea, I did some um, um, calculations. As you said, I did, uh, you see here uh, on the top, um, the, uh, what happened in 66 and some uh, alternative uh, uh, down with the idea that he would have uh, continued uh, at Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari was replaced by uh, Mike uh, Parks, so uh, I uh, used also uh, I used uh, two different uh, patterns. I uh, he left after only two races, so it was it's quite difficult to predict how the season uh, would have went for him, especially because in the first race in Monaco he had uh, zero points and then uh, the next race in Belgium he won, so he got not, not nine points. So it's quite difficult to uh, calculate a tendency. So I just took the idea that he would be one race outside the points and would uh, win the next points. And I combined this with, uh, with the results from Mike Parks uh, with the idea that Mike Parks uh, had uh, the car which would have Sotis before and uh, included here also uh, zero points when he uh, retired based on technical uh, problems. So with this in mind, uh, I did the calculations. Um, uh, John Sotis, uh, he finished, uh, he switched to Cooper Maserati uh, at the second half of the 66 season, which he won uh, in Mexico, but besides this wasn't that competitive. Uh, so my prediction, and of course there are many other factors, so it's, let's say it's more uh, like playing around with numbers, uh, but I would assume he would have been better in points, he would have been um, on second position, like he also was with switching to uh, Cooper, but nevertheless I think Jack Brabham would have won the uh, 66 uh, season, even if John Sotis would have stayed with Ferrari. Yeah, I agree, but uh, yeah, we never know. I mean, it, it all depended yeah. on, you know, the relative uh, sort of uh, performance of Ferrari. So if Ferrari really improved by then, you know, maybe it would have been a lot more successful year for, for John Surtees. But um, I mean, what happened, happened. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> uh, we cannot change that. So he decided to quit Ferrari and, uh, uh, and then he raced for for other teams, so Cooper, uh, Honda, uh, definitely, and, uh, uh, you know, so this uh, was um, a, a more kind of difficult stage of his Formula One career, but nevertheless, he was already a Formula One champion. Exactly, and uh, it's day in uh, 1966, uh, because before he switched uh, to um, uh, Cooper in Formula One, he also uh, entered the uh, Can-Am series uh, where he started uh, for the uh, Lola team 
And uh, you see here the Lola MK2 Spider. Yeah, beautiful. Later, beautiful, yeah. beautiful car. <laughs> like if you are watching us on YouTube, you can see how pretty this uh, this make is. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely the spider cars are like Lola spider cars are just so cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. So he also uh, continued with um, this um, Lola. Well, not only he continued, he won the series as far as I am exactly. correct. Yeah. Yeah. So he also supported Lola with the development uh, of their car and here uh, later Enzo Ferrari wasn't that happy because uh, if you see the later Lola models, they looked a little bit similar than the Ferrari 330, which uh, Sotis uh, had known uh, from before. Yeah, and with, uh, so yeah, it's, this is always an issue when you have, yeah. you lose uh, some people from one team and they're going to the other, you often see kind of this... Uh, uh, shared innovations uh, across uh, the across the teams, and yeah, that certainly is uh, always a concern. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, keeping the keeping people in uh, is uh, a very challenging task yeah. for any organization, and certainly yeah, there is a particular there is uh, an extra risk in Formula One, obviously, with that. Yep. As you already uh, mentioned, uh, after 66, he switched to the uh, young um, Honda team. And uh, here, uh, another uh, two years later, now we are in 68, another example that uh, Jean Sotis was a man of bold uh, decisions, even on the risk that this not made him uh, popular with. Uh, uh, his uh, company with his uh, boss uh, be because in uh, 68 uh, he was uh, he tested the new Honda RR300 uh, tool an experimental uh, design with a uh, air-cooled uh, uh, engine and uh, as he did so he was uh, not happy with the car and um, quite uh, honest, quite openly, uh, he explained it to the Honda team that uh, this car is uh, really uh, dangerous and uh, a potential death trap, uh, as he described it. And, uh, and as he was the experienced uh, driver that year, and in fact, uh, Honda started with only one driver in uh, the season, uh, he decided against the RR302, but uh, st uh, started on the RR300 year from the uh, year before. Uh, um, then we came uh, to the uh, French uh, Grand Prix, uh, and Honda decided uh, that they wanted to have a second car inside the race. And as they're in France, they looked uh, for a French driver and uh, selected uh, Joe Schlesser, who was competing in Formula 2 at that time. And he, should, uh, he started the race uh, alongside uh, John Sotis, uh, but in opposite uh, to John, he uh, selected the new 302. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he uh, had, a car, had an accident in the car. It overturned, uh, caught fire, and uh, he died uh, in the car, practically what John Sotis has uh, predicted the car was uh, was a death trap. Uh, 
at least if we look here uh, at the circumstances, uh, we are not at that just technical uh, expert to see how much it really was the car or it was just uh, bad luck. But let's say uh, George Lesser, he hadn't had any Formula One experience before. First race in the Formula One, the car which John Sozzi said it's uh, undrivable, too dangerous and uh, he died. Yeah, um, so so definitely his uh, mechanical uh, career, uh, apprenticeship career, mm-hmm. helped him in in understanding uh, uh, understanding cars better. Uh, but uh, generally, um, I mean, this is uh, 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 I can only imagine considering the Japanese culture where no is not uh, the the word to use. Uh, yes. uh, the, you know how the. Yeah, saying something like this to the management was probably also very, you know, very brave uh, decision. But nevertheless, you know, he did it, and uh, as, as we can see, they they should have listened because exactly what he was uh, cautioned against uh, happened, uh, unfortunately, to 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 Josh Lesser, which uh, and uh, this death could could have been prevented if uh, there was more regard. Uh, for, for for the criticism, right? And uh, um, again, this had uh, uh, quite drastic um, consequences for Honda, who essentially quit and now participates only as a collab- collaborator um, by producing engines, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, so 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 effectively, you know, this could have been uh, a more constructive constructively handled. Uh, case by Honda, but unfortunately this didn't happen. Correct, and uh, it was already his uh, second year at Honda, so uh, John Sotis, I'm sure, uh, know if you uh, speak, uh, if you tell your um, Japanese uh, uh, boss that you don't drive the the car because uh, this car is a death trap, so practically saying directly, no, this is um, not not very aligned to Japanese culture. Of course, you can say no also in, in Japanese, but you don't say no, but you... You say yes, but. You say yes, but. Explain <laughs> yes, but. why it is a good idea, but why you may uh, overthink this uh, idea. Uh, so, so this is the way uh, to say no, let's say in, in Japanese, but I understand that he was practically very directly saying, no, this is a death trap, I don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just remember when I was um, uh, uh, I, I had my uh, kind of final years of PhD. I, I met uh, uh, kind of a fellow student who was uh, kind of Japanese and Austrian descent, yeah. but he was uh, raised effectively as an Austrian, and then he wanted to spend some time with you know in Japan with his yeah. Japanese uh, strand of the family. So he learned Japanese, but when he before he went, he wrote to a lot of universities about uh, you know that I want to have like a, an exchange here in Japan, and uh, um, many of them said uh, what he thought uh, said yes, but all of these letters said yes, but <laughs> so eventually he when yeah. he actually arrived at one of the universities that he thought uh, were accepting him, uh, he learned uh, the meaning of. Uh, yes, but uh, that is essentially a no. Uh, 
um, and uh, yeah, so just uh, you know, kind of keeping in mind this cultural difference is uh, very important. Uh, but effectively, in this case, uh, just kind of joking aside, uh, you know, this this was a very important point made very early about uh, the safety of the car. And ultimately, it costed the life of a very talented driver, yeah. and uh, you know it, he should have been he should have been taken more seriously by the management, and uh, uh, perhaps that this could have prevented uh, the death of Joe Schlesser. Yeah, and uh, at the end, uh, based on this experience, uh, Honda left uh, Formula One uh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is uh, kind of uh, John Sortis's career in Formula One from Lotus in 1960, like I, I mentioned before. And uh, basically, yeah, we already spoken about uh, uh, 1964 season, which was such his championship season. And uh, Patrick found a great picture uh, uh, of John Sortis in Ferrari 158. Um, and then basically, yeah, uh, uh, he, but basically he competed all the way until 1972, uh, and uh, in 71-72 in he had his own team. Uh, yeah, and uh, the photo uh, here, uh, you see, this is his car from 1964, but it was uh, taken in 2010 where he drove it again at the Goodwood uh, uh, Festival. So we may uh, understand based on this that uh, uh, that uh, he and Ferrari, they uh, cleared their problems over the decades, so... Yes, yes, in fact, in, in kind of later years, you can see a lot of footage of him kind of working with younger drivers at Ferrari, so I think at some yeah. point they even had some sort of, I don't know whether it was a formal agreement or some uh, uh, just uh, kind of friendly, uh, friendly agreement between Ferrari and him that he will participate more in sort of the... Uh, the development of the younger younger generation at Ferrari. So definitely, he was very uh, he had uh, very warm feelings towards Ferrari, and maybe eventually, like you said, I, I haven't actually seen that interview, but uh, he regretted his if he regretted his decision, it probably was uh, yeah. also uh, part of that that he just you know thought that he he could be useful there, and definitely he was um, until uh, up until 2017 he gave. Uh, a very uh, good commentary in many footages of Formula One race uh, races, uh, and uh, was this media person, probably not as famous as Sterling Moss or say Niki Lauda, uh, whom you can see kind of pretty much, you could see pretty much at uh, every race, but he certainly was um, again one of the uh, one of the key media figures in the UK uh, in, in, in racing and uh, spent a lot of time uh, developing uh, younger talent and giving his advice and giving his an analysis uh, to races. So yeah, he stayed very much in touch with, uh, with the sport after he retired. So this is a Surtis Racing Organization. That was yeah. his own team. And uh, you can see uh, Jean Surtis in uh, 1970 make, um, mm -hmm. right, uh, of, of, of uh, Surtis Racing. But uh, the point of showing you this kind of timeline is that uh, they didn't actually achieve many, uh, they didn't achieve many points. Uh, 
but nevertheless he tried i mean uh, you know so this again shows you the character that uh, okay you know i'm going to try to have my own team and uh, he really did his best uh, to uh, to achieve uh, good results there but uh, unfortunately yeah it, so the this probably was uh, one decision too many uh, in terms of uh, yet another change of a career <laughs> uh, and, uh, on yeah. the other hand uh, uh, i mean uh, sochi's racing organization they uh, spent nine years in formula one which is not that bad and um, uh, yes, and, uh, I mean they had the good longevity in the seventies, but considering that um, other Formula One teams from I mean, if we compare this organization, the the Surtis Racing organization to say other successful British teams like Lotus and and uh, McLaren, uh, I mean. Uh, I appreciate yeah. that McLaren was quite New Zealand uh, at, at, at that stage, but ultimately based in Britain. Uh, so we, you know, we uh, see that it's not as successful, right? Uh, yeah, not that successful uh, for him, I uh, agree. But nevertheless, I think important uh, for Formula One as uh, in opposite to today, uh, where every big team has its little uh, developing team, its junior team, this uh, small uh, Formula One teams had an important role in the 1970s, like in the 80s, as this has been the teams where you uh, enter uh, the sport and if you uh, are good in this, let's say in the slower car, the bigger teams uh, invited you testing their car, so it was a good entry point in the, uh, for the sports in general. I think one of the problems uh, Sotis Racing had was uh, the budget. They always had financial problems and this uh, also explains the high number of different drivers they had in uh, each uh, year because normally uh, if you're a healthy financial spoken um, team you have two, two uh, drivers but you not try to have like six, seven, eight uh, having every race a different one this uh, you normally only do if you need um, uh, the money from the driver for example to have a german driver starting in germany having a british driver starting for the british uh, grand prix etc etc of this all these changes in the organization of course it's difficult uh, to have a good uh, development uh, of the car yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, again, uh, what what we can say about this, uh, he made that decision, he tried to make mm -hmm. it work and, uh, you know, it didn't quite work, although, you know, they had, they achieved several points and uh, it was uh, basically, uh, the team was there for nine years in total, uh, from 1970 to 1978 inclusive. Uh, um, and uh, certainly kind of made history in the sport. Uh, and uh, again, this was a, a very risky undertaking. Uh, and uh, it's cool that he made this decision and uh, was not afraid of, you know, starting again yet another, yet another career as a team manager, as a team principal. Right, with this we're coming uh, 
quotes. Yeah, and if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, if you could go, just go back for one second uh, uh, to the previous, yeah, to, to this photo. Yeah, this is a photo that we showed you in kind of in a small format. So this is John Surtees in his motorcycling gear as a very young man uh, competing in motorcycling competitions. So I just wanted to say that that's the zoomed in picture that I promised. Um, so, and uh, yeah. Quotes. Right. The words from the man uh, himself. Um, first, the connection of the car to the driver is the seat. You're strapped in tightly in. On the motorcycle, you can move around. The G-forces feel different. It's probably harder to change from the car to the motorcycle. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, and um, yeah, so definitely his motorcycling career helped him. But uh, to me, I think... Uh, these are completely different skill sets. I mean, yeah. the only probably um, thing that motorcycling and uh, car race, Formula One racing share is the speed <laughs> mm. of decision making. But um, uh, but other than that, I think it's a quite difficult skill set in terms of driving. And it's cool that you know we had so many people in. Uh, um, 1950s, 1960s, who kind of came out of the motorcycling and went into car racing. Although uh, we have to make a note here that he, John Surtees made that shift uh, quite late, and mm -hmm. he was uh, he was already a very uh, uh, kind of crowned person in motorcycling. So to make that change, you need uh, you, you need more than just decisiveness. You really need courage and uh, you need this ability, extreme uh, ability to take risk. Yeah, but nevertheless, uh, I agree with the last part. Uh, we saw, especially in the beginning, uh, a lot of drivers switching from a motorcycle to a Formula One uh, and being successful uh, up to, let's say, uh, Damon Hill, uh, who did uh, the same uh, development. But uh, as far as I remember, we never saw a successful uh, example that uh, you switch from the four to the two drive, two wheels. I mean, we saw Michael Schumacher um, not being over successful. I think also uh, Lewis Hamilton tried uh, motorcycling a little bit. Uh, yeah, but so without being uh, outstanding as they had been on the four wheels. Well, as far as I know, uh, John Surtisa to date holds uh, the record of winning uh, championship both on kind of two and four wheels yeah. uh, okay. in his uh, driving career. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. Yeah. It's comp but um, the skill sets uh, are, are different. Like, I think uh, the skill sets yeah. are fundamentally different. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe it's just easier to make the switch from motorcycling to the ra car racing than the other way around. But it also depends on how much practice you have on both, right? So. Exactly. And uh, I mean, and uh, besides uh, the examples, uh, I think not the people who switched uh, from motorcycling to Formula One have been practically more, uh, much younger than the examples we have uh, people switching from car racing to motorcycles. Yeah, I think also in uh, motorcycling, uh, probably driving ability matters a bit more um, because, mm -hmm. um, um, because of the fact that you can move around, uh, you can uh, sort of uh, influence a little bit your, yeah. your performance uh, uh, in, the, in the race. Whereas in Formula One, I mean, if you are in... Uh, 
hugely inferior car that is not very reliable. It doesn't matter how good you are and uh, how much you shift inside, uh, it's yeah. not going to help you, right? So that's, uh, that's another thing, yeah. Um, okay, next two ones. I get appalled when I see good drivers being left on the sidelines because they haven't come up with the half million to a million to put themselves in a competitive car. What be interesting to know when he said this, I could imagine this was maybe after his active career as a driver, maybe in his, the time where he was the team principal because he saw all the, 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 the problems struggling drivers to find a seat in, uh, inside the sport. Yeah, uh, but also, you know, this, uh, this uh, uh, kind of showcases the understanding of the realities of, uh, of Formula One. And what we, we said before that you could be like a champion this season and not have a seat the next season. So this is uh, something that you cannot imagine now because this is kind of you have uh, 20-ish people, right, uh, who are driving these cars and uh, they kind of just move around a little bit. But um, it's uh, very difficult to imagine to have a champion who would not have a seat next season, but uh, this was very much a reality back then in 1950s, 1960s. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, he just was expressing this reality that, you know, you really need a... Um, yeah, you you really you you really need a lot of things to be able to drive next year. Yeah. So was it coming? Yeah. Next quote. Uh, we already uh, analyzed that uh, his uh, team had a high number of different uh, kind of drivers, and here he explained our driver policy was partly dictated by who was available because of other contracts. Yeah, I think uh, this is uh, another important point why uh, his own uh, team uh, didn't kind of achieve the results that he probably was hoping for is that uh, they this uh, driver switching kind of constant driver switching yeah. uh, policy didn't work very well. And uh, as a result, they didn't attract uh, the talent that they could develop within the, the team. And this was important. And uh, he just, I think uh, here, he kind of, he was, we, we discussed how he was lucky throughout his career, but he, he, here he kind of ran out of luck in the yeah. sense that, you know, if he had maybe uh, a talented person like say Bruce McLaren or someone starting relatively early with the team, then he would, you know, he probably would have had completely different results. And he himself yeah. uh, only decided to compete in 71 and 72, and then he had to retire uh, because I guess uh, even, even though he um, managed to race after 1965, his injuries probably would, did not allow him to uh, to, to properly continue and, uh, you know, effectively the fact that he couldn't find a constant uh, talented driver who would be developing within the team uh, ultimately played an, this negative role for the team that they couldn't quite achieve the results that they wanted. Good. And the last I love, one. I love this quote. This is my favorite. <laughs> you, you also can read it. Yeah, he said uh, he's got an opportunity with one of the best uh, teams. If he can't do it with Ferrari, well, he cannot do it. So, and this is it. Like, if you are very, um, you know, if you are placed in a very, like, I also, uh, I have to say, I also do not believe in undiscovered geniuses. You know, if you, <laughs> I think that if you are good, then 
uh, you will get an opportunity, but if you do not use this opportunity, then it's your own fault, right? And that's kind of what he said, that, you know, it's your own responsibility as a driver to, to, uh, to achieve success. And if you are placed uh, in, um, uh, in a very good team and you cannot achieve the result, it's probably, you know, yeah. it's probably you, it's not, it's yeah. not the team. So you, just, you shouldn't yeah. be blaming the team for that. Uh, yeah. And um, I completely agree with that. I think this is a very good point, you know, and, uh, um, you know, a lot of drivers kind of, you, you, you hear this in, in a lot of interviews, they complain about cars and uh, sometimes they are with, placed with uh, the best constructors in the world. So, um, you know. I think in general, this is with uh, um, Formula One drivers as uh, I think, uh, uh, most of of uh, them, they are very highly um, uh, motivated, and uh, they uh, they all see them as the best. And uh, mostly, I mean, mo if you have an interview after an accident, they always uh, say it was the other one. It's hardly never that you find somebody uh, saying yes, uh, my fault. Maybe yeah. a yeah. maybe yeah. now a little bit more then in, in the 60s uh, or 70s as I think maybe today the drivers are a little bit more self-reflective than in the 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. No, actually, I think this is a very cool problem that he mentioned here because um, when we get to 2010 season, remember when there was this issue of uh, kind of stolen information between uh, Ferrari mm -hmm. and McLaren and McLaren got fined and I think um, a big role uh, in this uh, scandal was played by Fernando Alonso, who kind of, I mean, I'm not gonna say went against his own team, but that's how the team felt at the time. Yeah. So from what I know from people who kind of worked at the McLaren uh, team. So um, so I think this kind of blame that, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't win because it's the team's fault, uh, that is present very much in a lot of, you know, even in later years, I think this is kind of a universal problem. And um, yeah, so, uh, but I like how, you know, John Surtees basically says that you need to rely on your own ability and kind of watch you, yourself first and kind of uh, own your mistakes, right? Own your yes. own failures. So that's uh, really cool. Yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of John Surtees with his, his second wife uh, here. Um, uh, and um, yeah, here, so we, we, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see the photo, but uh, generally, uh, yeah, we talked a lot uh, about character, I'm not going to repeat, uh, it's the kind of the decisiveness, willingness to take risk, uh, uh, notable wins, uh, yeah, I guess we have to take, uh, the. I'm not going to be uh, original here, I'm going to take the 1964 season where it was uh, a very competitive season and uh, he was run off and he emerged as a winner, so which was really cool. Um, but um, interesting, uh, he didn't win that many races, only six in uh, Formula One altogether. Yes, absolutely. But uh, he was always, uh, so he was um, on podium very often, uh, yeah, even though he it. wasn't first. Uh, and then he took up, you know, the opportunity when he could. Uh, 
Um, so the, the notable accident, of course, we have to go with the Canadian uh, race, uh, which have kind of happened uh, in 1965 and where he got uh, serious injuries and couldn't really. I mean, after that, pretty much it was kind of all downhill. Uh, even though he stayed uh, in racing, but I don't think many people can uh, kind of bounce back like Nicky Lauda, you know, like <laughs> and, and uh, sort of come back in full strength uh, uh, to Formula One after you have uh, such uh, such an event. Uh, and, and, and maybe uh, because of, of his uh, character and um, just an uh, idea, he couldn't get a seat, let's say, in a competitive team. I mean, after Ferrari, he switched uh, to uh, Cooper Maserati, and after this to uh, the Honda team. So he practically, he never sat in a car again where he really could uh, win a championship. Yeah, that's right. Uh, although, you know, I do like his kind of his opportunism. And when we talk about no, racing strategy, we like I think I just uh, see um, Jean Surtis as this great opportunist and, uh, you know, yeah. but not the kind of the type of opportunist as, uh, opportunist as Fangio. On the one hand, you know, we see like really bold decisions and, um, but uh, I like how he takes responsibility for what yeah. he does, right? So it's always yeah. like uh, he, he's responsible for his decisions and uh, he owns his mistakes and he always, sort of uh, is willing to accept that he's, uh, you know, he, he made a mistake and uh, ma he makes a full analysis of these mistakes. And uh, this allows him to say things that he's, he said <laughs> to, 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 to team principals, you know, at the cost of uh, potentially losing a seat. But um, as we saw with Honda example, I mean, uh, he was saying right things. Uh, at Listen least, uh, you know, at least uh, in this one particular case, we have evidence that he said the right things to the management at the right time, probably, and he could have saved the life, right? Because, I mean, uh, first of all, he was uh, driving the three, uh, the car, which I assume uh, is, had been slower than the new development because he didn't want to take uh, the, the risk. Uh, uh, because he thought the car is uh, too dangerous, so he not have been tempted like many other Formula One drivers to take uh, the risk because they wanted to win. He, he said, this is my decision and I drive maybe this, the safer car, but also the uh, slower car. And maybe also he took the risk uh, knowing that maybe uh, uh, Honda would not uh, rehire him for the next uh, season because he was maybe not uh, that uh, corporate cooperative in this um, situation. So yeah, and uh, in, in general, uh, you know, this uh, sort of ability to spot uh, issues, um, uh, uh, estimation of risk. So yeah, despite the fact that he was uh, kind of making these very risky decisions in his career and taking these opportunities when they came, he nevertheless, I mean, this particular case with Honda shows that it was not a uh, blind, right? So he can no. see, he waited this decision. He was just, I think, naturally very risk-taking person, but he understood to the yeah. amount of risk that he's taken. So it was not uh, just like, you know, I'm just going to do this, right? Uh, uh, and uh, kind of just go in there without uh, much consideration. So he conceded that's the thing, like he 
did consider the risk, he did consider yeah. the consequences, and then uh, knowingly and deliberately was making these decisions. And you know, so sometimes uh, like uh, like we saw with Ferrari, maybe he, maybe he made uh, mistake, mistakes, but then he owned his mistakes, and he was always. Um, you know, he 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 thought first and did uh, second in a sense. Uh, yeah. So right. So this was uh, uh, very much uh, his um, uh, yeah uh, his character in and his uh, racing strategy approach. And uh, this is something that I think is uh, what we seem to be missing in the more recent seasons because it's often. You know, the drivers never take kind of, well, I'm not going to say never, but often do not take yep. kind of personal responsibility that, okay, it was my mistake. You know, they always talk about the team as a whole. And uh, um, even though Formula One is a team effort, you know, you need to yeah. have a certain, uh, you know, uh, responsibility as a driver for what you are doing on the track. Yep. And uh, so let's speak a little bit about his legacy. And we yeah. mentioned it. And Why this is, the, the and then this is, yeah. I just wanted to t t tell uh, people about the previous picture that we just showed. If you're watching us on YouTube, Hi. and so this is a picture of John Sertis at uh, kind of old age. And uh, when you look for his pictures, you find a lot. Like he was photographed a lot, and his uh, yeah. kind of senior years, uh, but not so much when he was younger. Yeah, sorry. Let's go to Henry uh, Henry Sertis, uh, his son, mm -hmm. uh, also very talented. Formula Two driver who died at the age of uh, 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, again in Brands Hatch, which was quite a uh, actually this was quite a lucky spot for for John Surtees. So we, you can see quite a lot of photos of him mm -hmm. in Brands Hatch. Uh, in Ferrari uh, car, uh, so uh, for example, if you go on Wikipedia, the first uh, photo that you see would be John Surtees in Brands Hatch. Um, so, uh, so Henry was um, again. Uh, you can find a lot of news footage about Henry Surtees, but um, I just want to kind of come back about to the point that Patrick made about kind of should you get your kids into the risky business? I think it's always. It's it's all uh, there is always a risk, right? And um, I think for Surtis family, this is it. Right? This is the consideration, right? It is risky, but you know this is my passion and this is what I want to do in my life. And hence, uh, you know, the choice to support your child and what you know they want to do is important. And uh, it is risky, and you can die, of course. And this is what happened with this very talented young man. But um, nevertheless, I mean, um, you know, there is no right answer here, you know, whether you should or should not. But I guess it is always the right decision for a parent to support uh, your child and their, you know, in, in what they want to do. So. And uh, as you can imagine, um, as a parent, uh, this uh, highly affected you, uh, this uh, much too early death uh, of his son. And uh, due to this, he founded, uh, um, again, the Sotis Racing uh, Organization, but this time um, not uh, a race team, but an organization uh, primarily uh, to uh, assist um, uh, uh, the development regarding uh, the, uh, how to assist people with uh, brain or physical injuries caused by accidents 
as uh, we have it unfortunately often in uh, motorsports and um, and due to this he also uh, um, uh, dedicated uh, his uh, museum in that course yeah i also want to say that uh, john surtis had uh, three ch three children um so i think uh, I might uh, not remember the names correctly, so please forgive me. I think it's uh, Leonora, Edwina, and uh, Henry who who, who uh, died, tragically died. So he also had two daughters. And, uh, um, you know, this, um, so they, they obviously are not in, in, in uh, just as kind of risky occupations as Henry was. So um, uh, he also was very popular with women. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he was uh, married three times. I don't have my like a cheat sheet in front of me, but I think he was, I think that's correct. And um, uh, so all his uh, kids, I think, were with his uh, third wife, um, which was, uh, if I, again, if I'm not mistaken, Jane, Jane Sparrow. And uh, so, you know, he was uh, quite a character, I mean, despite all this uh, sort of uh, passion and sport. I mean, he was also very, um, uh, um, uh, I guess, a very attractive guy in personal communication. Um, and also, yeah, so we haven't actually talked about his death, uh, but uh, he died of respiratory failure um, in 2017. So basically, yeah, you, we can say that that's probably just age. He was uh, 83 when he died. Uh, and um, But I mean, what a life and what a career. So certainly uh, uh, could have could have been three or four lives altogether. Uh, and uh, yeah, so um, like, like I said, I mean, uh, Personally, for me, again, I'm really biased, but that's one of my favorite figures in Formula One. Certainly, very, uh, uh, very cool character and uh, very kind of risk taken and responsible at the same time. Yeah. And definitely check out the Henry Surtis Foundation. And we have a website there that Patrick has conveniently mentioned uh, on the slide uh, www.henrysurtisfoundation.com. And we will put it also um, in our description to the in video. In the description, yeah, we will put it in. And so, and uh, generally, uh, as always, uh, when we talk about uh, um, Formula One figures, uh, uh, I would, uh, I'm, I'm sure Patrick would agree, so hopefully uh, Patrick will agree with this, that uh, please uh, visit uh, museums if you can. I know that that's tough not right now, but... Yes. Uh, there are virtual tours and also uh, read books. <laughs> Don't just listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, read books uh, and uh, um, kind of try to find out for yourself what uh, you know, what uh, what you can about uh, the characters that we discussed. Because it's always better to see the interviews uh, and. Uh, get the information from uh, people who do research, uh, like deep research, about in-depth research about uh, mm -hmm. these iconic figures. Yep. And speaking about Thank books, uh, we should also mention that Patrick wrote uh, um, a book for kids, uh, in addition yeah, to all the I other books that he wrote. So uh, we should mention that. So uh, can you just talk a little bit about it and perhaps we... Yeah, in fact, I wrote it uh, some years ago, uh, ago, um, ago because I had uh, the one about uh, Enzo Ferrari and my daughter asked me to do a children version. So 
And uh, as I was uh, working in uh, Mexico in uh, regarding to compliance, anti-corruption, I made a little uh, story uh, about uh, a race car in the 1950s to uh, foster a little bit the discussion about uh, ethical uh, behavior and how important, uh, what are the consequences of uh, unhonest, uh, unhonest behavior. So I wrote this little story and uh, already sometimes um, before, and now luckily uh, it is also available as um, um, audiobook, so you can listen to it on Audible and uh, iTunes. Yeah, so not just uh, any audiobook, but it was picked up by Audible, which is a very good promoter of uh, uh, of, of um, sound, uh, yeah, uh, uh, sound books and audio books. So yeah. great! So do check it out. Again, we will put the the link to to this. I think we're gonna make a maybe separate post uh, on YouTube as an individual post, but also we will include that link yeah. underneath this video. All right. Yeah. So, so please check it out. Yeah, with that, uh, uh, basically, yeah, we come to the end of this episode. And um, again, thanks to Patrick, we are on all platforms apart from YouTube. But obviously, our home platform is YouTube because we show you some uh, some pictures and sometimes some videos. So please do check it out and uh, uh, connect with us. Uh, um, definitely subscribe to the channel because it will encourage us to do more of this work. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, engage with us on other platforms and uh, leave comments if you if you're interested in Formula One history uh, and um, analytics. So like, uh, 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 as interested as we are, or not so much. But if you have uh, some important questions for us, please do ask them. Also, if you have any suggestion about uh, a topic or a driver or somebody else around Formula One about uh, whom you would like uh, to see uh, a special episode, uh, just let us know. Uh, I mean, we try to always include different kind of characters, of course, uh, with a big focus on the, on the uh, champions, but also sometimes we have drivers which for whatever reason have been uh, interesting for us even if they never won uh, the championship or um, uh, one of the team principals, engineers. Uh, so if you have any kind of uh, figure where you uh, would like to see um, an episode about, uh, you can also uh, let us know, of course. Yeah. With that, uh, thanks a lot for, for listening or for watching us, uh, dependent on which platform you are using. And uh, thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.